Curious Radio. I am your mystery maven, Roxy Zwicker from New England Curiosities, here with you today, along with the empty seat of Ken. <laughs> there it is, the empty seat. And, of course, the Professor Lou Blassie on the other side, who I'm keeping gainfully employed on this show. That's right. We're going we're gonna to keep you here. Show I haven't been fired from. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> When's Ken coming back? Uh, as soon as they do something about his schedules. Yeah. But ETA, like a month to two months, so we'll see. All right. We'll see how things are going. So, um... In case you are tuning into A Curious for the first time, we are a show of all things strange, um, unusual, metaphysical, and um, things that you are curious about. And, and I tell you, being here in New England, there is much to be curious about, as we are constantly I finding know, huh? on this show. Yeah. Um, so we are just back uh, yesterday. We were in um, Bridgewater, Massachusetts, and uh, we were down for, apparently there is a historical society in East Bridgewater and West Bridgewater, and we were hired um, by both to do a talk on witchcraft outside of Salem. Yep. And uh, it was- you bang the joint out. It was pretty amazing. Uh, there was over 150 people um, and people sitting on the floor. And we, um, you know, kind of brought back some stories of people that had been forgotten. And, uh, you know, our first witchcraft uh, accusation actually happened in 1642 in Connecticut. So mm. we were able to share the names and the history and just kind of the strange circumstances behind all of these people being accused of witchcraft. Everything from slander to not getting people well from the flu, you yeah. name it. There was all sorts of reasons why yeah. people were accused and in some cases executed. They just didn't like these people. They just didn't like them. Yeah. I, I mean, imagine if that continued today. Yeah. So um, it was it was a really, really good event and we were thrilled that everybody came out. Um, it does continue today. We won't get into that. No, we'll, no, we'll, try, to, we'll yeah. try to avoid that. Um, so that was actually our last speaking engagement for a little while. So mm-hmm. we're a little bit on a break right now. But it was great. It was um, it was really cool. And I wanted to make sure that I was done before the Patriots game. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> was that the back cover of the um, uh, Halloween season? It it, it it technically is. Yeah. It technically is. Um, we're, we're sort of off for like the next 10 days-ish with um, just a few things happening. Um, and then we come back on December 1st for our holiday trolley tours. Yeah. So um, it was nice. great. It was great. It was really, really good. People had some really great questions. And I had a descendant in the audience um, that was sixth-generation descendant of Anne Hutchinson, who was executed, of course, um, yeah. for witchcraft in Boston. So it, it's always exciting when you have someone in the audience that is connected to one of the stories that right. you tell. And he had come up afterwards. And he said, you know, thank you so much for sharing that story. You know, people don't usually tell her story. And he said, right. and you, you told the whole story. And, and, I mean, that's, you know, that's part of the work. You want to make right. sure that everybody knows the full story of what had happened. Uh, no witches were burned in Massachusetts. No. Oh, God. I know. That's the big one, right? It, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you would, you would think that at some point people would realize that there were no witches that were burned at the stake over here. Mm. And it's still, it, it doesn't, it doesn't come up all the time, but every once in yeah. a while, someone who is, uh, Dare I say a little bit uninformed? Yeah. Like uh, we don't, you know, we didn't have slavery, and we didn't do this, and we didn't do that, and there's, there's always just a, I, I joke it, it on persists. it. It persists. Yeah. The whole thing of it persists, but it yeah. didn't really happen that way. And there's, there's just this tiny little educational component sometimes of what we do that we don't always realize. Yeah. Um, but luckily, everybody was was right on task, and we had a very, um, a very diverse audience yesterday. It was, it was very surprising. Usually, when we do historical societies they tend to be more of you know older retired folks and i mean we had kids in the audience and it was it was pretty cool so um i'm really glad we got to do that and um it's much more of a mainstream 
topic. And, and that's what they had actually said. They, yeah. The folks from the historical society, they were like, you know, because they asked, you know, how many people had been to one of their events before, and it was just a, a small group. Most of the people had never been right. to one. And she said it, it's something that people are, are more and more curious about. Plus, first of all, witchcraft itself is a much more mainstream uh, topic. It is. In this day and age, I, I mean, you can, you know, go buy things at Walmart yeah. that, you know, are, uh, allude right. to— uh, to witchcraft or, or the style of witchcraft, get a as book it were. or something. But uh, and the uh, witch trials are a part of our history here mm -hmm. that people always seem to be interested in. It, in it, it, it's I don't think it's on the decrease anytime soon. No. I think everybody wants to either you know go to Salem or learn more about it yeah. or wear a T-shirt that says something about it. <laughs> it for some whatever reason it's fashionable right now. Um, witchcraft is very fashionable. Well, and it's Salem to be honest, Salem it's part of their um, it's part of who they are. It is. Oh, absolutely. The, the witch trials are part of who Salem mm -hmm. are, and there were witch trials in Salem. Andover was big in mm -hmm. in witch trials, and you know, locally here in the valley, and mm -hmm. you know, a lot of towns have a witch trial history. They do, and and that's part of you know the presentation that I do is to say, you know what, uh, Northampton had them, Western Massachusetts, Connecticut had them. They were everywhere. It's just you don't you don't hear about it because of the, you know, 1692. Everything happened in in such a short time frame. You know, in Connecticut, it happened over 40 years. Oh, really? So yeah. you actually have um, more people in Connecticut who were executed for witchcraft over the span of 40 years. Over 40 years. Yeah, over 40 years. Wow. Yeah, first first came down in uh, 1642. Yeah. And um, it didn't really start changing until you know 1680s. So. It's 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 all these different facts that people just you yeah. know they don't come up that you don't know. It's stunning because it's like the same same. I I, I think I've told you the story. I wrote this book about biographies of people in the early 1900s, mm -hmm. and all through writing it, I had the simultaneous thought of it's exactly like it is now, and it's nothing like it is now. Mm -hmm. And that's what American history is. Mm -hmm. And it's still hard to look back and go over 40 years. No one said. You know, maybe we should give this a little more thought before we start killing people. Yeah, it would. I think, and because of the time, and somebody had asked a similar question to that yesterday. Yeah. The belief systems that were coming over with the people come in, particularly coming off of the burning times where people had known about that over in England, there were enough people coming over with these outlandish beliefs that it just kept making it worse and worse and worse. I mean, you had, you know, yeah. one woman who was executed because she sued a contractor for not doing the job that he was hired to do, and she won in court, and that was enough to have her try and evicted of a witch. Was, because she was, was she was a strong witchcraft. Yeah. She, she was she was a strong outspoken person. Yeah, and you know her husband had passed away, and that was you know they asked her to apologize, and she wouldn't apologize. And next thing you know, she's you know she's hang, apologized for winning a case against yeah. a contractor. Yeah, yeah. For, for saying what she said about the contractor. Yeah. And, and the role she, of women at the time too. That, yeah, and, the attitudes and yeah. towards women. Yeah, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. So today it seems absolutely ridiculous, and and it's funny. Yesterday when I was doing the presentation. You know, I was talking about, you know, uh, some women were accused of shape-shifting into chickens and falling down chimneys. And, and the audience, I mean, they were laughing themselves. See, I mean, that's yeah. how ridiculous it is. But 350 years ago, it was no laughing matter. It's amazing. Yeah, it is quite amazing. So um, I figured today we'd, we'd kind of lighten the mood a little bit with Thanksgiving, which is the holiday that comes between Halloween and Christmas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the forgotten holiday. 
Well, yeah, kind of. It, 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 to me, it's forgotten. Yeah. Like, you know, we don't have Thanksgiving carols. Now I go in the store. It's Christmas carols, Christmas everything. And poor little turkeys tucked in the corner there. So I figured I'd do um, do some kind of research on kind of New England food folklore. Oh, nice. And, like, yep. where it's come from and, you know, who invented some of these things and what is uh, uniquely New England. So what do you think some uniquely New England foods are? Oh, I, Fluffinutter is... Mm-hmm. New England food. Mm-hmm. Um, We're going to give you the, the strange history on the Fluffernutter in just a minute. Yeah, n- people outside of New England have no clue what's going on with Fluffernutter. They, they have fluff. They fluff. Get, yeah. Fluff. They, they don't get it. Yep. Um, Moxie. Moxie, yeah. Maine, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I... There are more. I'm having trouble calling in the mind. I know there are more. I put you on the spot. I know. No, but every once in a while, this thing comes up where that's a New England thing. I didn't know that was. I mm-hmm. thought that was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, coffee milk. Coffee milk, yeah. Coffee milk was, is is huge still down in Rhode Island. Yep. Coffee milk's a big one. Um, fiddleheads. The, oh. the fiddlehead ferns. I've had fiddleheads once. Yeah. Yeah. They, do you eat fiddleheads? I've had them. Yeah. You can, you can you do um you can also do pickled fiddleheads. Yeah, I think that's what I had. Yeah, and there's only a very specific window when you can go out and pick them. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very, very uniquely New England. What's the town on? What's the town that has the. <coughs> that's famous for fiddleheads? It's right on the main New Hampshire border. Don't they have a fair, a fiddlehead fair or something? I'm trying to remember where it is now. I can't think of it. Yeah. I okay. seem to remember falling across the fiddlehead fair somewhere. I'm on that border, and I'm trying to think. <laughs> like, hmm. Which is how I came across fiddleheads. I didn't know they existed <coughs> until I fell across this fair. Well, we'll have to, we'll, we'll look into Lou's Fiddlehead Fair. Um, interesting. Now now I'm like, now I'm thinking. Uh, the chow mein sandwich. Chow mein sandwich? Mm-hmm. There are chow mein sandwiches? Mm-hmm. So uh, you can chow actually, mein between bread? Yep. You can, uh, they were actually a, a big deal um, at the Salem Willows, and it's believed that they were um, invented in Fall River, Massachusetts. And it's a, a sandwich with, you know, the traditional chow mein with gravy on a hamburger bun. And it's like a hot turkey sandwich. Nice. Mm-hmm. So there's, uh, they still do them um, in, in Salem. And, of course, down in Fall River, there's certain places that you can go. How about uh, maple sugar candy? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And rot your teeth out. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, Vermont and Massachusetts, pretty famous for. Yes. Um, but let's go, let, well, let's back up for a minute um, to the Fluffernutter because it has, there's some very interesting folklore. And the time that the that fluff actually came out um, kind of brings us back to what it was like during uh, World War Two and how people survived. and. Yep. And who the people were, which is kind of cool. So let me um, let, let me bring us back here. We're gonna go back in the New England Curiosities time machine, and maybe I'll <laughs> learn a little something about fluffernutters. Do you like fluffernutters, Lou? God, fluff is. I know it's classic. Fluff is awesome. It's classic. Yeah. Uh, open any pantry in New England, and chances are you'll find at least one jar of marshmallow fluff. Mm-hmm. Not just any old marshmallow cream. But fluff, the one manufactured by Durkee Mower of Lynn, Massachusetts, since 1920. And the preferred brand of the Northeast. With its familiar red lid and classic blue label, it has been a long favorite guilty pleasure and a kitchen staple beloved throughout the region. 
This gooey, spreadable, marshmallow-infused confection used in countless recipes and found in a variety of baked goods from whoopie pies. I had no idea that they used fluff and whoopie pies. Fluff and not a whoopie, fluff, whoopie fluff, pies. Fluff whoopie pies. Oh, okay. It sounds pretty good. Um, Rice Krispies treats to fudge and beyond. I love making fudge. Fudge with, uh, with peanut butter and fluff. and Oh, yeah. Yeah, my so grandmother good. used to make that. Oh, so good. Yeah. Um, of course... A classic on white bread, but there are several claims to the origin of the sandwich. And the first begins with Revolutionary War hero, Paul Revere. Oh, mm-hmm. I never heard. Paul Revere connected to fluff. <laughs> Paul Revere is connected to fluff. Wow. Um, his great-great-great-grandchildren, Emma and Armory Curtis of Melrose, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Both siblings were highly intelligent and forward thinkers, and he was even accepted into MIT. But when the family couldn't afford to send him, he founded a Boston-based company in the 1890s that specialized in soda fountain equipment. He sold the business in 1901 and used the proceeds to buy the entire east side of Crystal Street in Melrose. Mm-hmm. Soon after, he built a house, and in his basement, he created a marshmallow spread known as Snowflake Marshmallow Cream. Snowflake Marshmallow Cream. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Which actually predated fluff. By the early 1910s, the... Curtis Marshmallow Factory was established, and Snowflake became the first commercially successful shelf-stable marshmallow cream. Although other companies were manufacturing similar products, it was Emma who set the Curtis brand apart. She had a knack for marketing and thought up many different ways to popularize their marshmallow cream, including one-of-a-kind recipes, like sandwiches that featured nuts and marshmallow cream. She shared her culinary gems in a weekly newspaper column and radio show. Uh, Just for marshmallow fluff. Yes. And all of a sudden... She had the first podcast. She had the (laughs) The first... Fluff podcast. (laughs) Fluff-driven podcast. Yes. And so then by 1915, it was selling nationwide. During World War I, when Americans were urged to sacrifice meat one day a week, she published a recipe for a peanut butter and marshmallow cream sandwich. And she named her creation... What would you name it? During World War I... What's like, what's a victory a, sandwich. Very close. Yeah. It, was, it was a liberty sandwich. Liberty sandwich. Liberty sandwich. Yeah. And it was... God bless her. <laughs> God bless this woman. Isn't she amazing? She got a statue in Melrose? She should have a statue yeah. made out of fluff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shape the fluff yeah. into her. Um, of course, it was thought that you could obtain your daily nutrients while simultaneously supporting the wartime cause. Oh, it's healthy. <laughs> Isn't it great? Okay. Uh, some have pointed to her 1918 published recipe as the earliest known example of a fluffernutter. Very nice. Um, however, there is, of course, some controversy. Of course. You can't have fluffernutter. No, you can't just stand up and claim you invented the fluffernutter. No, no. And- no, everybody, everyone goes, okay. Yeah. No, me too. Yep. Me too. So in 1915, the Confectioner's Trade Journal, Candy and Ice Cream, published a list of lunch offerings that candy shops could advertise beyond hot soup. And one of them was known as the Mallow Nut Sandwich. Mallow. Mallow Nut. Yeah. Which involved peanut butter and marshmallow whip or mallow topping spread lightly on toasted whole wheat bread. Do we know what marshmallow is, by the way? Yes, it's the marshmallow plant. There's a marshmallow plant? Oh, I are we, did not is, know. No, I did not is know. Is this the Lou doesn't know? Uh, I thought it was one of these synthetic foods that we always no. love, like Cool Whip and marshmallow roux, box the mashed marshmallow potatoes. Plant? There no. is a marshmallow There's a marshmallow does plant. Does it grow though. little marshmallows? How does it work? <laughs> so it's it's the root, and you chop it up and you whip it up into marshmallow. I had no idea. How, how do 
how have you how how have you lived 27 years, Lou, and not heard of? <laughs> it's been considerably more than 27 years, but yeah, I I I don't know. You just accept it. It's a marshmallow. It is. It's God's gift. <laughs> it just it came down on yes. a, a marshmallowy cloud. There from was the a heavens. chorus. There was sunlight. No, it was in the marshmallow. <laughs> the harp was playing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I thought for sure that we were going to get through an episode without what you didn't know this week. Oh no, no, no. No, it's no, impossible. There it is. Yeah, apparently. I, no. <laughs> No, you're too good at hitting <laughs> stuff I don't know. Oh, so great. Yeah. Well, guess what? There is a third origin story. Okay. So this one comes from Somerville, Massachusetts, um, home to entrepreneur Archibald Query. What a great name, mm. Archibald Query. He there aren't many make, Archibalds anymore. There aren't. Archie Query. He came up with his own version of marshmallow cream, and he was selling it door to door. Due to sugar shortages during World War One, his business began to fail. So he sold the rights to candy makers Alan Durkee and Fred Mower in 1920. And the cost was $500 for what mm. would go on to become the Marshmallow Fluff Empire. Wow. Although the business partners promoted the sandwich treat early in the company's history, the delicious snack wasn't officially called the Fluffer Nutter until the 1960s when they hired a PR firm to help market the sandwich. And, of course, they had a particularly catchy jingle coining the phrase. So in the end... You've got to hear what happens with this and how the law really got involved just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So who owns the bragging rights? While some anonymous candy shop owner was likely the first to actually put the two together, Emma Curtis created the early precursors and brought the concept to a national audience. Mm-hmm. And Jerky Mower now added the ubiquitous cream and catchy name, and Fluffernutter has not lost its popularity. However... Here we go. In 2006, the Massachusetts state legislature spent a full week deliberating. <laughs> so this is your tax dollars at work here wow. in the Bay State. I should not remember this. Yeah, when was this? 2006. Two th- yeah, I remember. Were you that. alive in 2006? Later? Yeah, I was. Yeah, okay. Um, over whether or not the fluffer nutter should be named the official state sandwich. Yeah. On one side, people argue that the marshmallow cream and peanut butter added to the epidemic of childhood obesity. Oh, please. The history-bound fanatics, however, that stood against it contended that the Fluffernutter was a proud culinary legacy. It is. One representative, easy for me to say, proclaimed that, I am going to fight to the death for fluff. (laughs) Where where was I this day? How did I miss this fight for fluff? Why isn't he running for president? I don't know. True dedication, but the bill has been stalled for more than a decade. So it's We caught. couldn't agree that the Fluffinutter is the state sandwich of Massachusetts. No. What are the other contenders? I don't know. <laughs> Probably the chop suey sandwich. Chop suey sandwich. Chop suey sandwich. Yep. Um, mayonnaise sandwich? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, come on. Mayonnaise sandwich? You've never had a mayonnaise sandwich? I've had a mayonnaise sandwich with tomatoes, but okay. not just mayonnaise. Not just mayonnaise and bread. Is it just mayonnaise and bread? Yeah. Really? I thought every kid had a mayonnaise sandwich. No. It's not a Western Mass thing, apparently. So there have been many petitions, um, however, but there is a uh, National Fluffernutter Day. So mark your calendar. National. National Fluffernutter Day. Um, What month would you put Fluffernutter Day on? Or Uh, in? It has to be a winter month. I would say January. October 8th. October 8th. October 8th. October's kind of full. we got a whole bunch of stuff going on in October. We, we, yeah, I don't, I yeah. don't have time to, to celebrate. 
unfortunately, in yeah. October National. But I'm going to mark that down. Um, and in, in case you want to look it up, you probably want to know that Somerville, Massachusetts, still does a annual What the Fluff Festival. What the Fluff Festival. What the Fluff Festival. I, could, I finally found a reason to go to Somerville. <laughs> <laughs> Is that on October eighth? Um, no, I don't. I don't have the date, but I'm sh- I'm sure it's probably somewhere somewhere in there. Um, I, all right, I'm a Massachusetts native. Yes. Born and bred. Yes. Love Fluffinettas all my life. I'm going to blow your mind now. Oh, this good. This came to me about four years ago. Okay, go ahead. Grilled Fluffinutter. Grilled Fluffinutter. Yeah. Lightly grilled. Uh, yeah, to taste, grilled to taste. Do you do you butter do you butter the bread at all? Or yes, otherwise it's just toast. Yeah, okay. Just fluffing it on okay. toast. Okay. Yeah. That doesn't... grilled fluffing it. Well, so I'm I'm thinking like s'mores like kind of. Yeah. Because it's gonna be all it's gonna be warm and ooey gooey. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. I haven't yeah. tried it. You've tried it, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. And it's good. Oh yeah. As soon as I saw the article, I said I get... I jumped in the car and went to the store and bought fluff. Just, just to, just to, just to, to do that. Just to fl- do that. Yeah. No way. That's awesome. Because you hear the concept and you go, oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta try that. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair and enough. And then there's fluff and Nutella, which is something my that's kids kind of, got into. Yeah, that's kind of a new thing. Yeah. Like I don't, I, I mean, I know like it was like a few years ago, people were crazy about Nutella. Yep. Which is okay, but the kids um, are into it. Yeah, it, it seems like I it's, groomed them into all three. Oh, did you? Yeah, why not? Nice work. Yeah. Nice work. Um, so they, they did get kind of uh, a, a comment from the festival's executive director, who mm-hmm. is a self-proclaimed fluff expert. <laughs> Obviously. Does he have business cards? It's a she. I want to it's, see, it's oh, she? She. I want to see these business cards. And her name is Mimi. She's a Mimi the fluff expert. <laughs> Mimi the fluff expert. Of course it's Mimi. Of course. Yeah. Whether born in the 1940s or 50s or 60s or later, everyone feels nostalgic for fluff. Mm-hmm. I think New Englanders in general have a particular fondness for it. Yes, of course. So, uh, of course, in in closing, oh look there it, there's look there's here. What girl? There's, there's actually a picture of a. I didn't notice it when I was researching this. Yeah. Um, and today, the fluffer and sandwiches is as much part of New England cuisine as baked beans or blueberry pie. See, those are two other New England foods. Blueberry pie is a New England food? Yeah. Oh, I didn't Maine. Know. Maine, well, pro- I... Maine produces like 95% of the blueberries in the country. Well, I know, but the rest of the country knows blueberry exists. They don't know fluff exists. Well, no, they don't know fluff exists. They know blueberries yes. exist. Yes. Yeah. Um, while some people live and die by the traditional combination, the sandwich now comes in all shapes and sizes, with the addition of salty and savory toppings as a favorite twist. Oh, like what? Do we, they listen? <laughs> hold on. <laughs> You're going out to the store Picking up fluff list. on the way home. <laughs> Wheat bread is as popular as white bread. Sure. And many like to grill their sandwiches for a touch of bistro flair. Yeah. But don't ask a New Englander to swap out their favorite brand of marshmallow cream. Oh, no. That's just asking. There are other brands? Well, yes, there are. See, that should be illegal. Yeah. Well, it says that's just asking too fluffing much. (laughs) It is. Why would you buy an off brand of fluff? I don't know. You're going to Costco or something, getting a tub of. Uh, fluffo or whatever. Fluffo. <laughs> oh, I don't. I don't. It's, 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 you know, discount shopping maybe. Spend I don't the know. extra twenty cents and get the real. Fluff. Yeah, and get the fluff, the real yeah. marshmallow fluff. And they haven't changed the label in like six thousand years. No. I mean, it's still yeah. that little, you know, that little blue watercolor. 
which is... Um, and although my house is one of them right now, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a house in New England that didn't have a... Yeah, I think so too. In there. I, yeah, I think so too. And um, by the way, if you're listening to us on Facebook Live, feel free to add into the the comments what you think yeah. is the uh, quintessential uh, New England kind of brand food that we've we've so, all grown up with. Uh, so there's no listing of quote unquote savory toppings. What would you embellish your fluff sandwich with? Fluffing it probably away. fruit. You could do sure. like strawberries. I think strawberries would be be really really good on the on the with fluff. the peanut butter too. Yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. Right, strawberries and cream with peanut butter. I mean, that, that, that was almost like jam. Yeah. But just the whole strawberries. Could crush up some graham crackers and put them on there. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. That would be really good. I would like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little dusting of graham crackers. Yeah, I guess who would who would thought of that? Yeah. Oh, Sandra, had one last week. Still too sweet. <laughs> you got to get your ratio of fluff to, to peanut, peanut butter. butter. That's yeah. the thing. And it's got to be so what so all right, so we haven't mentioned peanut butter, so what's your your peanut butter go to for my, your fluff? My which peanut butter? Yeah. Uh see, here's where I'm going to get in trouble. <gasps> Lou? Well, no, because I don't eat like regular peanut butter because it's so freaking calorie intensive. Okay. And but they have this peanut butter powder out now. Peanut butter powder. Yeah, it's okay. it's basically if you read the ingredients, it's it's uh, peanuts, salt, and a little sugar, but it's less than a gram of sugar in there. It's just a powder. You mix it with water instead of the oil. Still tastes like peanut butter. It's great, but it's only like forty five calories a serving. Where peanut butter is one hundred and ninety. No, is it is it really thin? No, nope. you put it on the. No, bread? you can you can determine how thick it is. Okay. By how much water you mix in. So, no, it, it gets pasty, like, oh, and right. it comes in flavors, too. It has vanilla, and it has uh, a vanilla, and it has a chocolate, and a regular peanut butter, and Fascinating. one with flaxseed oil. See, now there's something I didn't know. Yeah. So that's so, the peanut yeah. butter I'm using. I love peanut I could, I just, if I had regular peanut butter in the house, I'd just kill it. <laughs> the stuff I can't have, that's why I don't have fluff in the house. I'll eat it. If I have it in the house, I'll eat it. There's no shame in that. I know, but, you know, most people put a thing of fluff in the house, and it lasts a month. Wouldn't, wouldn't Not in really. my house. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You get, you get about two weeks. You get the big plastic one with a little burpee yeah. cover, and that's like two weeks in yeah. my house. No shame They in should that. do little um, travel things, like just little. pick up a single serving of fluff and peanut butter. Let's see. Now you probably, with you're onto something. With some graham crackers. Yep. See, you're, you're onto something right yeah. there. See, it's a million-dollar idea you're sitting on. Yeah, you know, like they got cheese and crackers and things like mm-hmm. that. It's just little snack things. Little fluff and crackers. Fluffing, yeah. What kind of crackers? Graham crackers. Graham crackers. Okay. Yeah. Not a bad idea. Mm. All right. Well, I was thinking wheat bread when you were saying that. Wheat bread would work. I think wheat bread would work. Yeah. Or the, um, that's another thing that's very New England is the, uh, the Anadama bread, which is the molasses bread. Is that which, what that yeah, is? Yeah, it's from, um, it was in, allegedly, again, there's probably, you know, 30 stories about it, that it was invented in Rockport. See, the universe is just this weird place. I went to a diner yesterday. No, no, don't tell me. They had homemade breads up there that they make, that the diner actually makes. And one of which was an oatmeal and molasses bread. Mm -hmm. And they had the Adama. Is it Adama? Yeah. And the reason I remember it is because the waitress was talking about it and she couldn't pronounce it. So she was just making fun of me, like Adama Nama Nama bread. Nice. Like that. So that's what Adama bread is. What Mm -hmm. is it? It's it's like a, it's got like a molasses in it. It's very sweet. It's very thick. It's very heavy. It'll last a while. It's very yeah. dense. Yeah, yeah. There's a little um, a little bakery in Portsmouth right around the corner from Deadwick's called Series. So I never hear the word there. before yesterday and two days in a row. 
How does this happen? What's going on with you, Lou? How does this happen? I don't know. What Lou doesn't know. Yeah. I wanted the I wanted toast with the oatmeal and molasses, but they didn't. Have, they were out of that bread. It's a wicked popular bread. Yeah. So there you go. Wow. Who knew? Well, that's going to work us right into a break here. All right. So um, what we'll do is uh, we'll go out to a break, and then we're going to come more back uniquely with, New England with more, yeah, more weird food stuff here and folklore about uh, things that you may not have known. You're listening to Wicked Curious. Don't go away. For the best and curious entertainment, you have to check out New England Curiosities, located in the historic city of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. New England Curiosities offers tales and tours of folklore, ghosts, and mysterious history with author and historian Roxy Zwicker, New Hampshire's longest-running and original ghost tour. Roxy has been entertaining the locals, visitors from away, and curious souls since 1994. New England Curiosities has been offering tours and special haunted events since 2002, highly respected and thoroughly entertaining. You'll be talking about your experience for months to come. Discover why New England Curiosities is consistently on top of travel and tourism lists. Yankee Magazine calls the Shadows and Stones Graveyard Tour one of New England's top five cemetery tours. The Boston Globe says an experience with New England Curiosities is one of the three best alternatives to visiting Salem, Massachusetts. From scenic trolley rides to walking tours and speaking engagements, there's something for everyone. So join New England Curiosities and experience why they are consistently featured in the media, including television appearances on the History Channel and the Travel Channel. Check out the latest legendary tours and events from New England Curiosities at NewEnglandCuriosities.com. And be sure to like New England Curiosities on Facebook. Greetings to you, traveler. My name is Roxy Swicker, and you may have heard of me being referred to as Maine's Mystery Maven or even New England's Scary Godmother. Creativity and curiosity are in my blood, always has been and is a way of life. And I really want to share my creative projects with you. Just under 20 years ago, I began New England Curiosities, a tour and event company based in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And it's given me the opportunity to connect with so many people. And for the past 15 years, I've been serving the seacoast of New Hampshire as a metaphysical instructor and reader. Two of the things on my path that I've committed to are helping to empower spiritual seekers and to share stories from and with curious folks. I know that community is powerful and we can create so much together. One of my projects is Wicked Curious Radio, a radio show that asks, you are wicked curious, aren't you? And also The Woodland Alchemy, which is a film that brings its viewers to a place of imagination, the unknown, and the mysterious. If you would like to help keep these projects afloat and keep us moving forward, you can check us out on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash Zwicker, you can find all of the magical things that we are doing. You can check out all the different levels of subscription and join us on our journey. So again, it's patreon.com slash Zwicker, R-O-X-I-E-Z-W-I-C-K-E-R. And we thank you so much for joining our curious journey.
Welcome back to Wicked Curious Radio. I am Roxy Zwicker from New England Curiosities, and you are finding us on Facebook Live, perhaps Buzzsprout and iTunes, 102.9 FM HD2, anytalks.net. Who knows where you're finding us <laughs> in the fluff universe out there, the universe of fluff. I yes. love it. So uh, I actually, during the break, decided to give the specific um, details on the Anadama bread. Yep. So it is uh, wheat, cornmeal, molasses, and sometimes rye. And it is a, again, traditional. Okay, so I was wondering bread. what the difference was between that and the other one they had that was oatmeal and molasses. There's no oatmeal. And... No, yeah. no. Yep. Okay. So there you have it. Yeah. All right. There so. was a place in town that used to do French bread, and they would make their own little... Uh, breads like really small ones like, like individuals they, yeah yeah and they were always thick and really dense like that so that's probably what i was what they made the french bread out of at, at certain points that would make sense yeah it'd be a nice bread for uh you're going with a stew or something really yeah. really solid so very cool all right so uh five historic thanksgiving foods that you won't be eating <laughs> Okay. <laughs> now, what part of the animals aren't we eating? <laughs> well, you, you might be glad that you're not eating these as well. So, uh, of course, in 1714, the Reverend Lawrence Conant of Danvers, Massachusetts, recorded details of his Thanksgiving dinner with a neighbor. And what do you think, besides venison, was the centerpiece? Oh, God, what year are we talking? 1714. Uh, there's got to be some possum or raccoon in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go bigger. Bigger? Bigger. Dog? No. <laughs> bear? Bear. Okay, yeah. It was bear. Yeah. Yep, they actually were eating bear. Um, the venison that was on the table for that Thanksgiving created controversy as the deer had been shot on, dare I say it? Church grounds? The Sabbath. Oh, on the Sabbath. N- it was you Satan's do, deer. You, you... <laughs> <laughs> It was. You can't be doing stuff on the Sabbath. No, you can't be doing stuff on the Sabbath. So, yeah. of course, that created a, a lot of controversy because you weren't supposed to be hunting on the Sabbath. It was completely prohibited. So, of course, they decided to also have bear for that very early Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, this is the uh, uh, 18th century equivalent of, what did you get for Thanksgiving? That's tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be right back. I'll be right back. Well, where are you going with the gun? <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to church with that gun, are you? Oh, my God. Can, yeah, can you imagine? That's what it was. Well, and I mean, Portsmouth has, a, oh, my God. When I was first researching the ghost tours, I was going through, you know, crazy Portsmouth laws. And there were so many in there about Sabbath breaking. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Then they would bring you to the town square and they would uh, whip you on. Whip the, you? Yeah, on the two-tiered fountain. We had a two-tiered fountain in Market Square. Yep. And they used to whip people. For um, doing stuff on for, the Sabbath? For, for, for breaking Sabbath laws. Okay. So um, if you had shot that bear, they probably would have brought you into Which Market evolved Square. into what we know in Massachusetts as the blue laws. Yeah, I suppose so. Part, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, it's New England for you. Not much has changed. Oh, God. So, of course, we know records. Again, it's the same thing. It's exactly like it was, and it's nothing it's, like it was. And it's nothing like it was. Yeah. No, you, you, at the you, same time. You are correct about yeah. that. Um, so the records of the first Massachusetts Thanksgiving meal in 1621 mention only that the pilgrims ate fowl and venison, but most likely they also ate the other traditional foods common to the natives' diet, including seafood, such as lobster and mussel. Sure. Lobster and mussels have been mentioned as dishes at early American Thanksgiving feasts. And people were rolling their eyes at the lobster. 
Oh, God, lobster. <laughs> lobster again? Well, lousy with them. Oh, I can't believe it. So, but can you, can you imagine you're, you know, you're in the middle of, of serving up the turkey and you bring out a pot of lobster and, you know, some, some mussels and that would These have been. These days? No, but back then. But yeah. back then, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, whatever. You didn't mention turkey, so turkeys were involved. Right, yeah, right. But another can... thing we were lousy with in the 1800, <laughs> in the 18th century. <laughs> this is true. And today. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. So, um, of course, lobster and mussels, which depending on, um, you know, it might be served as, as an appetizer now. Um, I know uh, last year when we did uh, Christmas at the Wentworth by the Sea, oh, the the, yeah. the seafood spread there, I, I yeah. hovered over that table quite a lot. And that's not usually what I think of for, for Christmas, but it was unbelievable. Yeah, but here in eastern New England, it's hard to get away from seafood, right? It is. Yeah. It is. You, you can't. Yeah. Um, all right. So... We're going to move down to Connecticut. Before we get to Connecticut. Yes, before we get to Connecticut. What's the strangest? That guy ate bear. He ate bear. What's the strangest thing you've ever eaten? What's the strangest thing I've ever eaten? What have you walked out on the limb limb for? Um, In South Carolina, I had alligator sausage. Was it any good? It was pretty good. I mean, I ordered the sausage. That was a tactic because... You can make anything in a sausage. Mm-hmm. Tastes good, right? Yeah. Enough seasoning. Oh, absolutely. Make anything taste absolutely. good. Absolutely. So, so I went. But yeah, it was pretty good. Oh, okay. And then I was doing a book signing in Maine. Uh, what was the name of that place? And they had a pairing, a food and wine pairing dinner that we were invited to. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, courses was elk, which I'd never eaten before. I think I've had elk before. Yeah. We, we had gone... God, I was researching cemeteries, and we were way up in Vermont. We were like five minutes from the border, mm-hmm. and um, there was a, a farm that had elk, and they also had a little restaurant there, and we went and had dinner there. I, I remember um, Ken had tried it, and I tried a little piece of his. This elk looked like a fillet. It looked almost like a hockey puck. Yes. It was a small, yeah. Like yes. A, yeah. Yep. Same thing. Yep. Yep. Um, it was very good, I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, when I was a teenager, and it, it's, it kills me to this day, I had rabbit. And I oh. and I love rabbit and I own rabbit, yeah. so I, it's like right. a kind of like a personal thing. That yeah, doesn't count for me. I'm Italian. Oh, great. Um, I mean, used to, I, <laughs> my Italian grandparents oh, used to no. terrorize my sister. Oh no! Yeah, they'd tell you the rabbit you were eating because <laughs> my sister had them all named. Oh no! Well, that's what Italians do. They eat rabbit. You're eating Fred. Yeah, exactly. No. Oh yeah. my God! I would have pushed my plate away. <laughs> oh, that's awful. Yeah. Fred was the nicest one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've done a lot of weird types of sushi. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was just a few years ago I got Ken on the sushi. On purpose? Are so you adventurous? I am. I am very adventurous. Yeah. With, with sushi, because it's just a little little bites. Yep. So I can take a little bite if I don't like it, then it goes out. Um, and I don't have to feel guilty about it. But Ken would not try sushi up until like a couple of years ago. And I kind of got him like, you know, here's tuna, you know, yeah. here's, uh, here's striped bass. with some tuna and California roll. And, yeah. yeah. And, and he doesn't get terribly adventurous, but he'll, he'll, he'll actually eat it. Yeah. So, um, I think sushi, different types of sushi. I'll is go. Probably... It's not my favorite thing, but I'll go. Well, it's, I mean, it's not a steady diet once in a great yeah. while. Like yeah. on New Year's, we'll go and do sushi, which is kind of fun. And again, you got the wasabi, you got the soy oh, yeah. sauce. You got some ginger. You can eat a shoe with enough wasabi and soy sauce. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, this ginger. True. Yeah. Um, so in Connecticut. So in Connecticut, we're going to go down to uh, 1779. And uh, this is this is going to conjure up probably a, a, a terrible thought. Um, and, of course, there's a, a, a little little backstory to this, but it's um, pigeon pasties. <laughs> well... 
pigeon wasn't always didn't always have the connotation we have. No, no. Pigeon was acceptable food for a it long was. time. It yeah. was like like Cornish game hens, yeah. you know, around this around the same size. So, uh, 1779 again. It was Juliana Smith of Sharon, Connecticut, who wrote to her cousin Betsy to describe the family's Thanksgiving meal. She noted that her dower grandmother, who uses the word dower, dower. anymore, yeah. such that we get so many words to bring back, had argued that the American Revolution was depriving Connecticut citizens of their property. The day, therefore, should be one of fasting and prayer due to the wickedness of our friends and vileness of our enemies. Uh-huh. However, Juliana's father persuaded the family instead to have a Thanksgiving feast. <laughs> Smith, who would go on to marry uh, New York Mayor Jacob Radcliffe, outlined a sumptuous menu. She bemoaned the fact that beef was not on the menu and hadn't been for three years. The army had needed it all. Nevertheless, the table groaned under the weight of turkey, goose, port, venison, and a wide range of vegetables. Mm-hmm. The menu also featured a suet pudding and two big pigeon pasties which pasties are of course hand pies so they're you know um like a pot thing after suet pudding (laughs) (laughs) oh my god suet pudding (coughs) the stuff the birds eat (laughs) the birds eating in a pudding form yeah well it's like a okay like a like thick gelatinous yeah sounds like something you want to eat right now so they were eating pigeons they were eating pigeons, um, yeah. like little like little pot pies. Yeah. So there you go. Pigeon pot pies. <laughs> pigeon, pigeon pot pies. That could go in some restaurants around here. Pigeon pot pies. That could go. Oh, God. Um, so then we're going to talk about, uh, of course, the 19th century. Well, and, Moffat what? Lad House talks. They yes. had a pigeon coop. Yes, they did. They yeah. had a huge pigeon, pigeon coop. Was a big part of their. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it would have been. I mean, a delicacy. They'd allow them to roost and then come mm-hmm. in and say, "All right, what's for dinner?" Pigeon. <laughs> you are. You are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you seem to remember a lot about visiting the Moffat Lad House in Portland. You bring almost every week. You bring it up was a little an something. Intense experience. Well, because it was like nine hours, right? Like you did the <laughs> nine-hour tour for like ten bucks. It seemed like it. <laughs> Not in a bad way. No, it's no. I, I I don't mean it in a bad way, but it's just like it was like very informative. Plus, it was just me and Janet, so it was like a one which was socially awkward for me. It's just too much intense yeah, interaction. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I retained a lot of stuff. Nice. <laughs> As a defense mechanism. <laughs> I was gonna say, is there a reason for that? <laughs> you had to pay attention. No, plus it was cool. No, it's I mean it's, yeah. it's an amazing house. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of good stories, but they yeah. didn't tell you my favorite stories of it being haunted in the tunnel yeah, and all of that. Yeah. But at least you remember tunnel. the pigeon. They didn't tell me no I tunnel. Told, I told you they got a scan of the tunnel in the yeah. front yard. It's it's there, but they said since they don't know what happened in the tunnel, it's only in legend, of course. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna move on down to puffball soup. Puffball soup. Puffball. Okay. So puffballs are what? What do we call puffballs? Yeah, puffballs. As a kid, you don't remember puffballs? No. They're mushrooms. You kick them and they go. Poof. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yep. puffball mushrooms. Yep. So uh, mushroom soup. Uh, the ideal 1890 Thanksgiving dinner published in Table Talk magazine featured puffball soup. So of course uh, it was very entertaining because when you would put the puffballs in the soup, they would poof like you know when you kicked them as a kid, and then they would dry out. Um, and of course they could also dice them and you know make this. You know. Aren't those spores coming out of them? They are. 
the puffball? They are. <laughs> so next Thanksgiving, the soup. Yeah, next Thanksgiving, you open the cabinet and there's mushrooms growing in there yep. already from the previous Thanksgiving. Really? Well, probably. <laughs> well, because you've got, I mean, Why not? you've, you've yeah. got to either put them whole in the soup or you've got to cut them up and yep. they're full of, you know, I mean, that's how, that's how mushrooms work. There's a fascinating um, documentary on Netflix about kind of the the mushroom underground network which is really kind of cool it talks about it's only like 45 minutes it's tremendously uh, extensive right yeah it's yeah. it's it's pretty amazing like the conditions and what mushrooms do but um yeah puff puff ball yeah. so there you go and uh of course They'd just eat anything back then wouldn't they well sure Who looks at that and says i'm gonna eat that <laughs> well and 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 you know and that's part of the thing like how many how many things did you know the colonists eat and die from because they didn't know it was good yeah you know they they i i can't even imagine you yeah. know things just growing up in you know their garden area and thinking oh well maybe i can try that and then nobody knows how they died yeah and because it was whatever it was that they ate maybe they just had a good night too well, well, I mean, if you're eating Especially mushrooms, you're eating maybe mushrooms, I was yeah. going to say you probably are yeah. having a good night. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's. Hun, there's a lot of mushrooms in the garden this year. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> I'm feeling so good lately, yeah. and I don't know why. <laughs> Did you paint the side of the house orange? <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> Well, I, and it, it's, you know, it, it, it's funny, we, we, we think about it now, because, you know, everything we know, you know, whether it's safe, and in most cases, right. or not, unless it's, you know, some sort of extenuating circumstances, but they, were, you know, they yeah. experimented with a lot of what was over here. And, and um, was so detached from foraging. Right. I mean, market basket is foraging, foraging <laughs> well, on for some, us. On some days it These is. These guys needed something to eat. They'd, right. They'd go out and get something to eat. Yeah, they'd, they'd eat what was ever growing there, yeah. and... uh it, it, it's funny um, on the uh, the cemetery tour that I do over in York. We talk about I may have mentioned this um, on a previous show the sassafras trees that are there, and they would take the leaves down and it was supposed to be the you know the elixir to life. Yeah. And they would make you know sassafras teas and all of these things and um, too much sassafras could kill you. Yes. I mean, and, you know, how do they know, you know, back in the 17th and early 18th century, like, how much sassafras to to steep that wouldn't kill them? Of course, you know, they probably found out by, you know, well, Joe down the street died because, you know, he had two extra leaves in the tea. Yep. So it's um it's it's funny. We, we don't, we're so far removed of that now. You were laughing during the break about yes. us getting all this time out of fluff. <laughs> and a radio story, I had a friend yes. who used to text me while I was doing a show, and the little game was he'd give me words to work into the show. Mm-hmm. But they had to be done naturally. Oh. Yeah, you know, so it's like, and sassafras was the word one day. And I worked in this show, and Roxy, I got 90 minutes of calls on sassafras after What? That. Everyone had a damn sassafras story. What, what were they, just by eating it or tea? You or? Know, just talking about the history of it and how it was poisonous at one time. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it was the forerunner of root beer, but right. it's not really because sassafras became became illegal right. at one point because it was poisonous. Right. Yeah. And it was just the whole thing about how, you know, sassafras, and they talk about sassafras tea and stuff like that. People were dying and, mm-hmm. you know, it was just the whole, people had tale of sassafras. And were you, were you shocked when all these people came forward yeah. with their sassafras? Hey, listen, stories. I was doing a daily show. If I could get an hour out of something <laughs> that people would be engaged with, I was all for it. Out of sassafras? Yeah. That, it's just funny. Yeah, I, I, well, I and I guess I'm, you know, the fluff is just funny to me, too. Because yeah. it's just, you know, it's just there. And apparently everybody's got a, a story it's about a it. Shared, it's got a history. It's a shared experience. If you grew up in New England, 
Oh, yeah. You have a fluff experience. Oh, we absolutely do. Mm-hmm. Mostly absolutely a fluff do. fetish, mostly. I think when I was, what was I? It was 1979, and my mother had back surgery, and we had a, a visiting nurse that used to come to see us. And um, I think it was either, I can't remember her birthday or my birthday, and I made a fluffernutter cake. Nice. And I put candles in it and everything, and... Um, cut the bread and you know made it and it was just the you know just the peanut butter and fluff and made the little that's probably one of my biggest so it's memories. a baked cake and the layers had peanut butter and fluff in between them yep oh, god and I was nine I made this little cake I, I I'm sure I have a picture of it somewhere with I put little candles in it but yeah that's my big my big uh, I guess uh, fluff. Now memory I'm, now i'm baking this weekend are you baking who's <laughs> <laughs> gonna come up with a, a fluff and cake, cake. Yeah. it's funny we just we jump back onto the the fluff and yep. uh, train here um let's see so uh we're gonna round so that puffball soup puffball soup yep. and then uh thanksgiving pudding so thanksgiving pudding consisted of crackers milk sugar eggs butter nutmeg salt and raisins and it was uh, pretty popular in the Boston Cooking School uh, cookbook back in 1896. And, uh, All things you had a lot of. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it was actually uh, written by uh, Fanny Farmer. Oh, yeah. So, uh, of course, that um, that's, uh, was the perfect thing for your Thanksgiving dinner was all of that. Um, it, it's just it's, it was it's, the Martha Stewart of her day. She was the Martha Stewart of her day, uh, although I don't know if she went to jail. <laughs> We don't know. We, we, we don't know that. We don't know that part. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just it, it's just pretty cool to to think about how um, our, our food even has a history. And I think that yeah. was one of the things that I was thinking about um, in putting together today's show. Is yeah. you know we we eat stuff and things change over the years, but you know we grew it, we experimented with it. There's stories around it, and we don't even realize it sometimes. This is why I was asking when we were doing Ron's show. I was asking about Thanksgiving because most a lot of people have a Thanksgiving tradition or a food that makes Thanksgiving for them. Mm-hmm. And food obviously is a shared experience, but right. but food is very ritualistic, absolutely, especially among families. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain uh, comfort to it, mm-hmm. and you know, there's just certain things that I have every Thanksgiving, like it's, it's simple stuff, like you know, mashed sweet potato, right? Because there was a family member who's no longer with us who mm-hmm. that was his thing, yeah, he wanted to have it, so it's just a, it's a little memory thing. So, no, you put it on the table. Well, it's um, it's funny, uh, last week, um, I was sitting with uh, my circle of women, and we were actually talking about food memories and um, how how very. Um, how very much it is like a ritual and how everything has its symbolism that the first tool to eat food um, was actually the knife because mm-hmm. you could cut with it and you could also eat with it. Right. Um, how the spoon symbolically is uh, represented by the moon um, because it's, you know, it's for soup, it's for water, it's for scooping things up. And um, the fork is masculine, and it's represented by the sun mm. um, because you can you, you, you can kind of, uh, you know, pick it up, and it's going to give you more of what you need. And how also uh, the round plate is considered to be associated with the sun as well and almost like mm. a, an offering that you bring in, again, all of these things to sustain yourselves. So we had, um, we had talked about in Circle all of the different foods that we kind of remember Right. first 
like what were what were those first very visceral memories yeah, of you and, know and it's usually like your interaction with your parents which is very mm-hmm. nostalgic and, right and you go back to and it's, it's like a childhood ritual mm-hmm. and uh oh for, for me <laughs> you're gonna laugh uh my father used to get the charcoal grill out mm-hmm. right and his big thing he'd, he'd take a pork chop mm-hmm. and he'd slather it in that sauce sauce Oh, my God. And throw it on the grill. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. My father's grilling. This is great. Oh, that's awesome. You know, it's like, you know, and growing up now that I, I've grown up and I love to grill. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've got a little bit wider repertoire. That's all my father had. But it was cool. I loved it, you know. Oh, but I bet it was delicious. It was delicious. So as long as you get something that you can do really well, yep. that's fabulous. Um, I, I remember... Uh, it was just it was chicken soup. I grew up in a in a Jewish family, and it's you know Jewish penicillin, yep. and whatever was wrong, it was always it was always the chicken soup, and it was really really good. Yeah. So um, that was the, mine. The, and I'd make the soup. I, with my kids now, we had uh, have a couple of rituals back in the day um, when they were younger. Uh, my daughter came to me and she goes, she wanted uh, there was a thing about Coke barbecue sauce or something. Mm-hmm. And she goes, mm-hmm. I want that, and I goes, oh, let's just make it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I found this recipe of Dr. Pepper barbecue sauce, and she goes, oh, no, let's do that. So the three of us are up there making this uh, barbecue sauce for the first time. Yep. And it's like, we've done it like a dozen times since. It's a, it's a little really? gathering. The kids just go, come on, let's make some sauce. And, you know, give it out at holidays and things like that. But for them, it's a ritual of getting together and mm-hmm. just, just doing this. It's that mm-hmm. hour, hour and a half mm-hmm. of, of just putting it together. And mm-hmm. it's, it's less about the food than it is. About the experience we're doing something yeah yeah it, it's great and we and we do i talked a lot about that like what is you know a you great... cooked with your mother or you, oh you yeah know, people of cook with their mother or father or whatever yeah. oh yeah and and you remember the the smells that you know came out of the kitchen both good and bad okay. <laughs> you know <laughs> something something my burned. whole family was italian men and irish women oh nice and, and the irish have no food culture American Irish anyway have no food culture. There's some food culture in Ireland, but uh, and the, all the Italian mother-in-laws used to try to teach the Irish woman how to cook. Oh, that my, must have been my mother included, yeah, it was entertaining. And we had a traditional meal on on uh, Christmas Eve of calamari, mm. which is squid. My mother mm-hmm. had no idea how to make it, really, and it was awful. Oh no! But I didn't know because I was just a kid. I thought that was calamari until I grew up and went to a restaurant. And it was like, that's not calamari. Oh no! Because <laughs> it was done right, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like she had made no idea. the thinnest sauce, and all the coating would wash off it, and, stuff. Oh. and you know, you could snap them like rubber bands oh. at each other. <laughs> she had no clue what she was doing. But it was just part of the ritual of, yeah. of what it was. Yeah. Or some of the things you've talked about in the past the rituals. If you grew up in New England, almost every New England kid, or at least in my generation. Mm. Uh, maybe yours, I don't know so much today, but almost every Ameri- New England kid made maple syrup at some point, right? Went out and tapped a tree well, and brought I, the sap back and tried to boil it down. It's just like it's, it's a shared experience. Well, I, I remember uh, maple syrup on snow. Oh, yeah. Did you do maple syrup on snow? Yeah. Yep. That was kind of my generation. Yep. Was to 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 warm it up and take it out and then um, put some fresh snow in a bowl and yeah. then to pour it on top and mix now, it together. Everyone makes it once. You go out and you tap the trees. Yep. If you live in a rural area and it takes mm-hmm. so long to collect the sap. Right. And then you bring it back and it takes so long to boil it down. And, and you, get, like, you got ten gallons yeah. of, and you get a shot glass of maple syrup, and it was good. But it's like a. It's like okay, I've done that. <laughs> right, that's off the list. I've done it once. Yeah, it's a right, right of passage, I yeah, suppose. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I've but never. But it's about um, connecting. It's it's about what was happening in the 18th <coughs> century, mm-hmm. and even earlier, where you're connecting with nature, you're collecting mm-hmm. with the things, 
connecting with the things around you. It's supplying you as opposed to going to Market Basket and getting a bottle of maple syrup. Well, and it it, it is always about the experience of just eating off the land, too, yeah. which is one of the things that we had um, which is the most week. basic connection with the land. It is. Yeah. And and thinking about what is out there that sustains you. And um, some of the women in my circle, it's that even though, you know, it's been getting cold, we've been getting a little bit of, a, you know, frost and some of the snow, that they could still go out and clip, you know, herbs off their plants. Yep. And, they're, you know, they're, they're still growing to a degree um, until, you know, finally we get that series of hard frost that's right. coming. I, I think that there's... Just um, pulled a strawberry off a couple of days ago. Did you? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So you should put it in your fluff sandwich. That's why, that's, why it, that's, yeah. why, that's why it showed up. Tell me. Now we're talking. Yep, there you go. Yep. Um, I, I always, I think, and I probably am thinking too deeply into it, but I think there's just such a connection to growing something on your land, and there's such a spirit to oh, that. No, no, no. And You're not going into it too deeply. I mean, I, there's, you know, there's a the belief that, well, obviously you want to you know, learn how to grow things for yourself and to yeah. cultivate that, but just the land of, you know, the earth and the roots and the trees and everything that's there, that there is that that spirit of that, and I think that's just it's deeply powerful. But that food means something to you more than picking it off a shelf. And I'm not picking on market. I love market no, basket. Yeah, no, I'm not absolutely. picking on them. But you see people all the time that grow tomatoes and they got tomatoes coming out. You know, they hand oh, yeah. them out to neighbors and things like that. It's, it's when you get chicken. It's the same thing. You yeah. have more eggs than you can deal with. Right. But it's something about having that connection and taking it from the seed on up mm-hmm. and then having that food on your table. It's mm-hmm. completely different. Yeah. There's, I, I don't know, there's a, a, a spirit or a magic or something, yeah. something to it that you really can't put your finger on, but you just feel all that more connected. And, I, you yeah. know, I, I think it's it's something that we've gotten gotten so far away from because we do go to the grocery store and everything right. is so easily available. And not everybody has the time to, to keep a garden and keep it weed and keep it planted and, and all that. we don't do enough of self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. In other words, all of our energies are put towards work or they're put towards, you know, cheerleader practice or whatever it is right. you get dealing with it. And uh, people of earlier generations, 17th century, 16th century, they were um, they were putting energy towards... I don't want to say survival because it's not that grim, although sometimes it was. It's about sustaining yourself. It's about it's about being part of the whole system. And and under and understanding that you are part of it. Yeah. I mean, we're we're so isolated in that sense now because you can you can buy anything that you need right. out there. Yeah, we don't. We're not. We're not fighting for stuff. We're not. We're not. Uh, we're not striving for things. No. Yeah. No. Want some ice cream? Go to the market basket. Yep. And there Get it is. Some ice cream. Yeah. yeah. But it's not going to taste as good as you know the the place down funny. the street. I where still have those it. things like um, like making my own barbecue sauce, mm-hmm. or the kids and I make you know Irish cream, an American cream. Ooh, ridiculously easy, by the way. Nice. But you could buy it off the store, but making it gives it a different it thing does. and puts a little bit of you into it mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And it's like I, st- you know, we were laughing I think between shows about you know making bourbon. Yeah. Or something. And it's like I could buy bourbon. Probably be better bourbon than I could make, but there's something about going through the process mm-hmm. of making it. Mm-hmm. That, you know, people distill their own beer or something like that. People still want that connection with they do what's sustaining them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's there's so many other layers of you know spirit or magic that you can put into that. We had talked about you know when you're you're stirring clockwise, whether you're you know you're stirring a, <laughs> a soup or a chatter, and you're stirring your good intentions in that. Yeah. And then if you're stirring counterclockwise, you're, you know, if you've got someone that's, you know, sick or that, you know, needs some healing and then you kind of send that out. Yep. And it, there's 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 so many things that you can do related 
to food and we've talked about before setting a place for someone that is passed yeah. and cooking their favorite food and it's um it's it has uh, such a, a memory me, that and sweet connection. potato there and thanksgiving yeah. it brings that person back it's just like it's mm-hmm. a connection and that's the only reason i do it i like sweet potatoes but it's like it's got to be there because john that was his thing yeah he wanted it and and it's yeah I don't know. There's a again. There's a spirit or a magic or whatever you want to call it. There's a yeah. connection that's there that's very strong. My kids, when they were younger, and they still do it now to an extent, because we'll make another batch before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, my kids, when they were younger, they loved giving out that barbecue sauce. Did they? Yeah, we'd put it in mason jars, and you know, when she got a little older, my daughter's making labels, and it's like Aww. they just loved it because again, you're in there, right? You know, it's just like you're you're connected to it. Well, it's, you know, it's like when somebody makes you a, you know, a plate of cookies, yep. you know, rather than, you know, buying a box of Entenmann's, although I do like Entenmann's. Yeah. Um, but there's there's something special about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. Let me see. Rose popped in a, a comment. My uncle was single. He would come over and had to have giblet gravy. <laughs> he was the only one who would eat it, and the house smelled horrible. Yeah. But see, now you, but you've got that memory and that connection of, you know, what, what people liked. It's... But, the reason he did it mm. was because he had a connection to someone, right. whether it be his parents or mm-hmm. maybe an uncle of his, mm-hmm. or you know that was that was part of his family nostalgia. Right, that, there's a comfort. Yeah, which is very cool. Yeah, yes. it's not Thanksgiving without giblet gravy. Or, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, no, it's I've true. got and there's a couple things I do at Thanksgiving that I don't do any other time. Is uh, you ever had uh, cream cheese stuffed celery? No, cream cheese and olive. I love olives. You take the green olives and you slice them up and you mix them in the cream cheese and then you stuff the celery with them. And then the other thing is I'll put out a piece of stemware, mm-hmm. like a crystal thing, with olive oil in it, a good olive oil, and then like maybe an inch of salt and pepper each on the bottom of it. Yep. And you swirl just regular celery, not stuffed celery, in it and just eat it. And I do it because that was my Italian grandfather. Really? Downstairs at his house because he had the walk-in basement and mm-hmm. it was like his man cave. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. It was like where he went, and he had his own refrigerator where he'd open the refrigerator, and it'd be nothing like about 100 miller light bottles. Oh, no. And it would be glorious because that gold glow from the, from the refrigerator light. But he had a checkered tablecloth and a tablecloth in the middle of that little downstairs yeah. kitchen, and he'd always pull out the uh, cream cheese stuffed celery and that stem glass with olive oil and swish the celery in it oh my god it's like it just brings me back to him a little bit just in my heritage yeah you know, because, of course because you know, he di- he died when i was relatively young yeah but i remember that so I just keep it going oh i think that's great though yeah. that's and that and that seems like something that is so unique i mean i've never even heard of that yeah, apparently it's not they they used to be like a new york style deli mm-hmm. up in salem when i was working in salem mm-hmm. and they had cream cheese and olive sandwiches which Ooh. apparently is a thing so Oh, that sounds really good. See, I'm, yeah. I'm in. I, I, when you said celery, I was thinking, you know, peanut butter and raisins. I was thinking ants on a log. That's where I went with the celery. Ants on a log. You've never done ants on a log? I don't think so. So you take the you take the, the celery. God, this is something I did when I was like seven yep. at camp. Um, take the celery and you fill it with peanut butter and then you put the raisins on it and it's ants on a log. Oh, I've done celery, uh, peanut butter and celery. Yeah, yeah but you got to get the raisins with, no, for the ants. The, raisins. the oh. ants on the log. Oh, yeah, cool. The ants on a log. Yep, there it is. Yeah, why not? Yep. So in, in case you're looking for appetizer ideas. Peanut for butter and fluff celery. <laughs> 
Mm, no, no, no. No, I'm going to go back to the strawberries. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of in on the strawberries. Yeah. So here we, we've had your episode of Food Folklore yeah. and History. And it's so much fun. And think about what it is that you're making for Thanksgiving and why and who, whose memory you're bringing back. Embrace and, the ritual, right? Yeah, absolutely. Embrace, embrace the, the connection. ritual. Yeah. Break out, you know, all those things that you perhaps have been hiding in recipe books or those old dishes that are sitting up in the cabinet. It doesn't matter if they match as long as it brings somebody back. You just never know. So we uh, will be back next week with another episode of Wicked Curious, and you can find us at knowingcuriosities.com. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you're listening to our podcast. And thank you so much for listening. Take care. Mm-hmm.